This world is filled with propaganda, false news, rumors, and accusations. Politicians fill the news with claims and counterclaims, but all of this is nothing new. Blood libel, also called blood accusation, referring to slander of the Jewish people, has been falsely accusing them of ritual murder, especially of Christian victims, for centuries. Baseless derogatory reports and grisly rumors have been a dangerous anti-Semitic tactic to accuse Jews, especially of murdering Christian children. Historically, blood libels have claimed that Jews used Christian blood as part of religious rituals, just like a scenario out of a satanic horror show. Blood libel claims of murder, as well as false accusations of Jews poisoning water wells and desecrating communion bread, all constituted major themes of the persecution of Jews in the past, but are still ongoing today. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. So-called replacement theology, a theology that replaces Israel with the church, simply can't be supported in the pages of the Bible. This blasphemous heresy has infiltrated much of the churches by misrepresenting God, tampering with His holy word, and character assassinating God's very nature. Replacement theology advocates falsely claim that God has cast off the Jewish people, despite the clear warning in the New Testament in Romans chapter 11 from the Apostle Paul that former Gentile believers should not become puffed up and arrogant against the Jewish people. So-called replacement theology or supersessionism demands that God has rejected Israel and that He is not a covenant keeper that he has denied and even broken his everlasting covenant commitment to Israel. As expressed in Bible verses, many Bible verses, such as Jeremiah 31, where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. He said, if this fixed order in the heavens, if these laws cease to function, only then will Israel's descendants cease to be a nation before me forever. Well, those are very definitive statements concerning God's resolve to keep his relationship with the Jewish people. When will the church learn this and cease its high-mindedness? Yet disgusting and obscene blood libels throughout the history of the church have maligned the Jewish people, such as the insane lie that they require human blood to bake matzah, the special unleavened bread eaten at the Passover holiday. The cruel accusations have often claimed that the blood of Christian children was required. Historically, blood libels have been construed 
to account for the untimely deaths of children, and in some cases, the alleged victims of human sacrifice have actually been venerated as church martyrs and saints. Three such children, William of Norwich, the so-called Little Saint Hugh of Lincoln, and Italy's Simon of Trent, these became objects of local cults and veneration, and in some cases, they were added to the general Roman calendar of commemorations. A child saint, Gabriel of Bialystok, Poland, when it was part of the Russian Empire, was canonized by the Russian Orthodox Church. Gabriel was six years old when, according to the legend, supported by the Russian Orthodox Church, he was kidnapped from his home during the Passover holiday and murdered by a local Jew. A cult developed and the boy was canonized in 1820. His relics are still the object of pilgrimage. In 1997 on All Saints Day in Belarus TV, a broadcast of a film alleged the story was true. An international report cited the film as a dangerous expression of anti-Semitism. In addition to countless rumors throughout history, there have been at least 150 recorded cases of blood libel resulting in pogroms, the arrest and killing of Jews, and in almost every case, Jews were murdered, sometimes by a mob, sometimes following horrific torture and cruel trials. However, irony of ironies, the allegations of human sacrifices are absolutely contrary to the teachings and laws of Judaism. According to the Bible, God tested Abraham with the near sacrifice of his son Isaac, but God himself ultimately provided a ram as a substitute. The Ten Commandments in the Torah also forbid murder. Furthermore, the use of blood in cooking is strictly prohibited by kosher dietary laws. This is because in the Torah, the book of Leviticus expressly states as a perpetual law for the Jews that they must not eat blood throughout every generation in all their dwellings. Unfortunately, origins of blood libels can be traced to England. This artwork depicts the alleged crucifixion of the 12-year-old boy, William of Norwich, as depicted on a screen in Holy Trinity Church in Loden, Norfolk. In 1144, the Jews of Norwich were falsely accused of ritual murder after the boy was discovered dead with stab wounds. The blood libel can be traced back to an individual named Thomas of Monmouth, who made up a wild tale that every year the Jews held an international council in which they selected a country in which a child would be killed at Easter time. In 1144, Monmouth said England was chosen and the Jewish community of Norwich had then abducted and crucified William. This legend was turned into a cult with William acquiring the status of a martyr. Pilgrims visited local church in Norfolk. Then a couple of decades later, a similar accusation followed in England, first in Gloucester, then in Bury St. Edmunds, and later in Bristol. In 1189, a Jewish deputation attending the coronation of Richard the Lionheart was attacked by a mob. 
Then massacres of Jews in London and York soon followed. In 1255, in the city of Lincoln, there was another notorious blood libel of the so-called Little St. Hugh. As he was passing through York, King Henry III had a Jew executed for the death of the little boy, and 91 Jews of Lincoln were arrested and sent to London, where 18 were executed. Within just a few decades, in 1290, all Jews were expelled from England. This was the infamous Edict of Expulsion issued by Edward I. Jews were not allowed to return to Britain for almost 400 years until the time of Oliver Cromwell in 1657. Much like the blood libels of England, the history of blood libel in continental Europe consists of unsubstantiated claims made about corpses of Christian children again. Also, just as in England, accusations in Europe typically resulted in the execution of numerous Jews, sometimes a town's entire Jewish community. The first known case outside of England occurred in France in 1171. There was a blood libel accusation against the town's entire Jewish community that led to around 30 Jews, including 17 women, being burned to death. In another French town in the same year, the body of a child was never found, and about 40 adult Jews were arrested and burned to death. The surviving members of the Jewish community were ransomed and new promises of safety made from the king. In Italy, Simon of Trent, a two-year-old boy, disappeared, and his father alleged that he had been kidnapped and murdered by the local Jewish community. But it was no coincidence that shortly before Simon went missing, an itinerant Franciscan preacher had delivered a series of sermons in Trent vilifying the local Jewish community. Fifteen of the Jews, including the head of the community, were sentenced to death and burned at the stake. Simon continued to be regarded locally as a saint, although he was never canonized by the Church of Rome. He was removed from the list of Roman martyrs by Pope Paul VI in 1965. And so it went on and on through the Inquisition and up to the 20th century. This is an anti-Semitic flyer that was published in Kiev in 1915, warning Christians to take care of their children because the Jewish Passover was coming. In January 2005, 20 members of the lower house of the Federal Assembly of Russia publicly made a blood libel accusation against the Jewish people. They approached the prosecutor general's office and demanded that Russia ban all Jewish organizations. They accused all Jewish groups of being extremists, anti-Christian, inhumane, and even accused them of practices that include ritual murders alluding to previous anti-Semitic Russian court decrees. Their supporters included journalists and editors of nationalist newspapers. Horrendous anti-Semitism continues today with synagogue shootings, graveyard desecrations, and more blood libels. According to Memory, that's the Middle East Media Research Institute, a Hamas-run TV station in Gaza broadcast one of America's most noted Muslim scholars, 
alleging that Jews kidnap Christians, again with the old lie, claiming that they're using their blood for Passover bread. And the cleric made the bold-faced claim that Jews do this every year. There are many such interviews available from Memory's website. In April 2013, an organization founded by Palestinian spokeswoman Hanan Ashrari apologized, expressing its sincerest regret for publishing an article which criticized American President Barack Obama for holding a Passover Seder in the White House. The article perpetuated the familiar lie, asking, does Obama know the relationship between Passover and Jewish blood rituals? Well, the attitude of the Catholic Church has varied over time towards these various accusations and the cults venerating children supposedly killed by Jews. In 1911, an important French Catholic encyclopedia published an analysis of various blood-level accusations, noting that the popes had generally refrained from endorsing these blood libels. The encyclopedia concluded that the accusations were unproven in a general sense, but unfortunately it purportedly left open the possibility that some Jews had committed ritual murders of Christians. Today, the accusations are almost entirely discredited in Catholic circles, and the cults associated with them have fallen into disfavor. Well, any true believer in Jesus who honors the Jewish people cannot tolerate for our elders in the faith to be tormented as a consequence of accusations that have not the least foundation in truth. And so it's highly interesting that in November 2019, the Times of London published an article with this headline, Church of England offers mea culpa on anti-Semitism. The article stated that the church's encouragement of anti-Semitic ideas helped to lead eventually to the Holocaust. So the church offered its repentance in an unprecedented 100-page report confessing that Christians had been guilty of promoting and fostering negative stereotypes of Jewish people and contributing to grave suffering and injustice, dating all the way back to blaming all Jews for the death of Jesus. The report emphasizes that the English church bears particular guilt since the blood libel concept was invented in England after the murder of William of Norwich and was encouraged by Church of England cathedrals. The report notes that England became the first country to order its entire Jewish community to leave, which occurred, as I said earlier, in 1290. The Church of England stated that Christians are to blame for centuries of anti-Semitism, which led not only to the Holocaust, but also to prejudice in modern politics. The report stated that over generations, Christians' teaching had provided a fertile seedbed for murderous anti-Semitism and within living memory, referring to the Holocaust. The report represents the first formal recognition on the part of the Church of England that it bears a considerable measure of responsibility for the spread of anti-Semitism. The report also mentions that some of the approaches and language used by pro-Palestinian advocates are reminiscent of what could be called traditional anti-Semitism. Also, some prayers and hymns still endorsed by the Church of England bear anti-Semitic sentiment, according to the report. 
The title of the report is God's Unfailing Word, Theological and Practical Perspectives on Christian-Jewish Relations. Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, wrote in the report's forward that too often in history the church has been responsible for and colluded in anti-Semitism. And the fact that anti-Semitic language and attacks are on the rise across the UK and Europe means that we cannot be complacent. One section of the report warns that Christians need to be aware that some Jews continue to fear that Christianity is itself at root irredeemably anti-Semitic. The report also warns that anti-Semitism has caused fear and distress, especially for young Jews at university in the United Kingdom. Work began on the document in 2016, and church officials said it was long overdue. In an afterword to the report, Britain's chief rabbi, Ephraim Mervis, welcomed the report as sensitive and unequivocal in owning up to Christian guilt, but he also offered some ongoing criticisms as well. The Times article quoted a professor of church history at Oxford University who said that even before the Second World War, lone voices in the church were calling for Christianity to face up to its history of anti-Semitism. The Oxford professor added that the impressive report was the end result of a lot of careful and anguished thinking that began after the war. However, I was surprised by the cavalier dismissal of the report by an editorial in the Times, describing it as self-flagellation. The editorial said rather sarcastically, Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned again, and stated that over the past two decades it's become fashionable to apologize for the sins of previous generations. The Times editorial claims it's not the crimes of churchmen years ago that many Jewish people worry about, but instead they're worried about anti-Semitism in today's society. The editorial said the report draws attention away from the helpful ways that the church works in society, like sheltering the homeless, helping the sick, embracing the lonely. Instead of focusing on the bad it once did, the editorial suggested, the Church of England should trumpet the good it does today. However, I strongly disagree. Whenever an apology in deep repentance is needed, it's always better later than never. Many British Christians over the past couple of decades have, in fact, been holding repentant services all over the country, repenting for past injuries and blood libels against the Jews, and for the edict of their expulsion as well. Our ministry held one of these repentance services in the 1990s in Herefordshire, with observation at the time by members of the Jewish community. So, for the Church of England to write a 100-page document of repentance is nothing to be sloughed off or criticized. How can there be genuine reconciliation between Jews and Christians without real repentance? But repentance, even after many centuries, does pave the way for reconciliation at last. I'm happy to say that news of the report from the Church of England is a very positive end-time sign because the peoples of the book, Jews and Christians, continue to fellowship and to come together and appreciate one another while both Jews and Christians are suffering persecution around the world from many other religious groups. Should we not have each other's backs? 
It's critical that Jews and Christians understand one another and love one another, especially at this time when God Almighty is busy positioning Israel, remembering and bringing the Jewish people home again, and preparing for that great prophesied outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Jerusalem and the land of Israel, upon Jews and Arabs alike. I would like to suggest why the Church of England and why every church should have a heart for the Jewish people. Bible expositor Derek Prince of Blessed Memory, whom we knew in Jerusalem, often said that he was surprised how uninformed most Christians are concerning the Bible's central focus upon Israel and the Jews. This is still true today. As Derek himself said, to pray effectively for Israel and the Jews, we need to be informed about them and what the Bible actually teaches concerning Israel. Furthermore, before the Lord returns, certain events have to take place. According to Bible prophecies, the Jewish people must be reestablished in Jerusalem and in the Holy Land. And why? Because the Lord is not coming back until they are. Then there has to be a supernatural revelation of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, an end-time movement that will turn the hearts of the Jewish people to himself. So the question remains, why all the inordinate hatred of Jews throughout the centuries? What is the real cause of anti-Semitism and all of the hateful blood libels against the Jews throughout the ages? After all, anti-Semitism preceded Christianity and has been going on for a much longer time. It's because the root cause of anti-Semitism is demonic. It can be laid at the feet of Satan himself because Satan hates God and is at deep enmity with God's chosen representatives, the Jews, who have been history scribes and guardians of God's word. Satan believes that if he can only destroy the Jewish people, then he can thwart God's eternal purposes for Jesus to return and to restore the kingdom to Israel. Therefore, there are a number of biblical reasons why all Bible believers should love, honor, respect, and support the Jewish people and pray earnestly for them. First of all, it's simply the right thing to do. It's a matter like honoring our parents. Without the foundation of the Jews in the Bible, Christianity simply could not exist. The Jews are our patriarchs and matriarchs in the faith. Secondly, in Psalm 122, verse 6, the Bible commands that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're actually praying for and hastening the second coming of Jesus, our blessed hope to rule the world from Jerusalem. You can't pray for Jerusalem's peace and not pray positively for the people who rule this city, the Jewish people. A third reason, Romans 15.27 informs us that former Gentile members of the body of Messiah, true believers, we are indebted to the Jewish people for spiritual realities, such as this Word of God, the Bible, the Savior, and so we are indebted to them and should gratefully minister even to their material needs. That's right. Christians owe a debt of eternal gratitude to the Jewish people for their greatest native son, Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name, who himself testified in John 4:22 that salvation proceeds from the Jewish people. 
So let's consider for a moment just what the Jewish people have actually given to Christianity. First of all, of course, they gave us the Holy Scriptures. Both Testaments were written by Jews. They gave us the patriarchs, the matriarchs, and the prophets, and the first family of the New Covenant, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus the Messiah of Nazareth, as well as the disciples and the apostles. A fourth reason to honor and respect and support the Jewish people, think about this. The true church of born-again believers, both male and female, are described in the New Testament as being the mystical bride of Messiah. Jesus certainly considered the Jewish people his family. So shouldn't the bride honor and respect the bridegroom's family? After all, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, Truly I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of one of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Gentiles were never called his brethren. Jesus was referring to his people, the Jewish people. Now a fifth point is that Genesis 12.3 is a very practical promise. And we would be foolish to disregard it. Genesis 12.3, God speaking says, And I will bless them that bless you, and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. The point is, who in their right mind doesn't want to be blessed? And God has promised to bless the man, to bless the nation that blesses the Jewish people. History has proven beyond reasonable doubt that the nations that have blessed the Jewish people have enjoyed the blessing of God. But nations and individuals that have cursed the Jewish people have experienced the curse of God. Well, I do hope this program is helping you to understand prophetic events and to know why Israel is controversial and always in the news. Men of God like Derek Prince and Lance Lambert in Jerusalem always taught that believers should do something practical to demonstrate solidarity with the Jewish people and to make up for all of the unspeakable atrocities perpetuated against them, often in the name of Jesus and in the sign of the cross throughout church history. By the grace of God, our ministry continues to be on the front lines concerning reconciliation between Jews and Christians. It's our privilege, and we invite you to join with us. And what are some of the exploits that we can do today on behalf of God and His people? Jesus said, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. That's why believers in this generation are reaching out to Israel hopefully finally demonstrating the true face of Jesus, not as a persecutor, but as a lover and redeemer. Our Holy Land prayer convocations often involve Jews and Christians sharing together. So if you'd like to know more about our ministry, we also publish a free color magazine called Exploits with articles about healing, Bible prophecy, and end-time events. We also have archived a 24-7 library of video teachings at our website, exploits.tv, where you can register for our anointed prayer conference tours in Jerusalem. And we invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store that offers information about our videos, e-books, and a Bible reading plan. And we always enjoy dialoguing through the social media. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark, 
Shalom and Maranatha.